Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and keep you up to date with the latest employment law news. I'm Glenn Hayes, National Head of Employment at Erwin Mitchell. Hi, and I'm Jo Mosley. I'm a support lawyer in the employment team. I write our blogs and newsletters and keep the team and our clients up to date on what's happening in the world of employment law and HR. So, Joe, what are we going to talk about today? Well, last time we discussed the Worker Protection Bill, which is currently making its way through the Lords, having completed the various stages that it went through in the Commons. And as you know, as it was originally drafted, it pledged to protect staff from, to start off with, harassment committed by third parties. And secondly, to introduce a new duty on employers to prevent sexual harassment. And our last two podcasts have focused on those two significant changes. So why are we revisiting again so soon, Joe? Have you thought up some more quiz questions? Because I got off quite lightly last time. You did, you did. Um, But no, no quiz questions on this one. And that's not the reason why we're revisiting it. There's been some significant changes over the last couple of weeks, and I want us to address these so that our listeners aren't confused about what actually is happening now and what they need to do to prepare. So has this got anything to do with the third party harassment provisions, which were obviously quite controversial? Yes, it has. You mentioned those last time, didn't you, Glenn? We know that members of both houses had raised concerns about what they referred to as the chilling effects of the third party provisions and specifically the ability that people would have to express those opinions. In effect, they were worried about the impact on free speech. Now, I've gone through the debates, certainly all of the debates in the Lords and some of the earlier debates in the Commons, and noticed that when they were talking about the third party provisions, they focused almost exclusively on the hospitality sector. So waitresses, bar staff, those sorts of people. Yeah. And there were real concerns that the bill would put unreasonable burdens on employers in those sectors where staff might, for example, overhear comments and opinions that they disliked or found offensive. So before the bill got to the Lords, they actually redrafted it. um, And they, I think you talked about this last time, they they made a number of changes which they hoped would assuage those concerns. But it turned out that that wasn't enough. And there was a real concern that the actual bill would fail because of these objections to the third party harassment provisions. So the government have actually removed them altogether from the bill. So that means that the law won't change? Well, certainly not for now and not under that bill, Glenn, that's that's for sure. I Again, as I said, I had a look at the the debates and the Labour spokesperson in the Commons um, and the Lords both said that if a Labour government got into office, they will revisit that particular issue. And the shadow minister in the Commons went even further than that. He was much more robust. He said, and I'm quoting here, that the next Labour government will require all employers to create and maintain workplaces that are absolutely free from sexual harassment, including by third parties and in all circumstances. We will achieve that through our new deal for working people delivered within our first 100 days in office. So it's clear that when he was making that statement, that the focus very much was on sexual harassment, though, rather than other types of third party harassment. Quite topical, given the um, publications in the last week or so about McDonald's and the uh, the issues they've got in relation to sexual harassment. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the debates 
in Parliament, they talked over and over again about how widespread this problem is. And we know that anyway, don't we, from some of the, the data that we've um, talked about in the past. They've set themselves quite a high bar there by the sounds of what uh, the Labour government have said. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I, our election, is it 20? It's not next year they have to have an election, is it? Is it 2025? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, in addition to removing these third party provisions, they've also made changes to the new duties to prevent sexual, sexual harassment. And I think we can both agree that they've watered those down. Come on, Joe, haven't they just changed a word or two? Well, I think you're being tongue in cheek there, um, Glenn. <laughs> they have only changed one word, but it's actually quite significant. So if we perhaps recap on what the original bill said, and then I'll talk us through what's changed and why that little word does make such a difference. So the original draft imposed a new additional duty on employers to take all reasonable steps to prevent their staff from being sexually harassed at work. So all reasonable steps. Now, that duty, so the duty to prevent staff from being sexually harassed at work remains, but employers are now under a duty to take reasonable steps to prevent their staff from being sexually harassed at work rather than all reasonable steps. So we're losing the word all. Now, last time we talked in some detail about the all reasonable steps defence. So I don't think we need to rehash that again. But what I would ask you to do, if you can, please, Glenn, is explain to our listeners what the difference is between taking all reasonable steps and just taking reasonable steps. Yeah, well, I was being tongue in cheek jokes. It's actually quite a lot of difference in fairness. So the Equality Act already contains a provision which gives employers an opportunity to avoid liability for harassment committed by its staff. Mm-hmm. if it can demonstrate that it's taken all reasonable steps to prevent it from taking place. So in that sense, there already exists an incentive for employers to prevent that sexual harassment. Yeah. But to establish that the employer has to take every reasonable step, it's quite difficult to get home and dry on that for the respondent, because if the claimant or the tribunal can point to a step that the employer didn't take, but it would have been reasonable for them to take, then they'll be vicariously liable for the actions of the staff. So you know, there are numerous examples that could be uh, taken, uh, shown, for example, you know, if they said they're going to do something on a works night out, for example, and they don't do it, that would be one one good example, I think. But by contrast, demonstrating that you've taken reasonable steps under this new duty is going to be easier. So you don't have to take every step and you won't be penalised if you haven't done so. Yeah. OK. So does that mean that employers will be held to a lower standard then when dealing with sexual harassment claims? Well, no. So the tests apply at different stages in the proceedings. So the first test I mentioned, you know, the taking all reasonable steps only applies at the liability stage. Mm -hmm. But there's still an opportunity for the employer to try and wriggle out of paying compensation to an employee who's been harassed by another member of staff. So that's not changing. An employee still has to win the claim against their employer before the new additional duty to prevent sexual harassment kicks in. What that new bill provides is that if an employer loses, 
the tribunal must consider. So it's a it's an absolute obligation. It's not something they can or a discretion. They must consider it, whether the employer has complied with this new duty. And if it hasn't, it can award the claimant additional compensation of up to 25% of the compensatory award. So if you think about the types of award that we get in sexual uh, harassment type cases, Joe, they tend to be fairly significant, you know, yes. as compared to other types of discrimination sometimes. And so if you're uplifting that compensation by up to 25%, that could be quite a lot of money for an employer to have to pay. And it's that second test where employers will be judged on whether they've took reasonable steps rather than all reasonable steps. Okay. So how do you think tribunals are going to judge employers on this new additional duty, Glenn? Well, we're going to we're going to get a steer and as to how good a steer it will be, time will tell. But it's the Equality and Human Rights Commission is going to produce some guidance, which will give us some sort of steer. Yeah. And my, my good feel is that awards of a maximum of an uplift to 25 percent will only be applied where the employers have done nothing okay, or yeah. next to nothing to prevent sexual harassment. So if they've if they just don't care or they've turned a blind eye or they don't live by anything they've said, then I think you know, that's going to be a real issue for employers. But I think there'll be some sort of slide in scale and cases will give us a bit of guidance, I think, when they go through to the Employment Appeal Tribunal as to the, the types of thing that will, you know, require that uplift and where that sits on that slide in scale. But I, I think the tribunals will expect larger, probably quite rightly so as well, expect larger employers to do more than smaller employers, for example, but they won't have to take every possible reasonable step that could have been done. So there, there are ways over time we'll work out where this where this sits yeah yeah so in in terms then of reasonable steps do you think that the when it gets to this stage where tribunals are considering the duty do you think the parties are just going to be rehashing the arguments that they've already had regarding the statutory defense well I, th there will be a bit of that i'm sure but i th i think we will have to look at what the employer's actually done um, but I think there'll be much more of a focus on this because the tribunal will have to look at that second element. Mm. Um, it's not a discretionary point. It's something that they absolutely have to do. So, you know, employers, I think, will will argue sort of in the alternative on these things and really try and focus on the things that they have done, even if there are things that they haven't. Yeah. In your experience, do employers tend to raise the existing statutory defence even if they don't think they're going to get home and dry on it? Yeah, I, I, well, I think quite a lot do, um, but it can be quite detrimental if they do it in the wrong circumstances. So Why I think that? quite, well, because I think if you take the example of an employer that is sort of standing by its employee and then hangs it, hangs that individual out to dry by invoking the statute of defence, you, you know, there is that possibility that, you know, then everybody's not on the same team paddling in the same canoe type thing. So I, I do think that it does cause employers a potential issue here. And they have to think really carefully, I think, about whether to invoke it. And my advice to employers really would be, I think you can only really invoke that defence if you've got a good chance of succeeding on it. You know, yeah. I, I, if, if you're invoking it just because it's a sort of throwaway um, it's a bit like those ET3s you see where at the very end you say the tribunal should strike this out because it's got no reasonable prospects of success. Well, we all know how hard that is for to persuade an employer to do that and uh, a tribunal to do that, sorry. So unless you've got a proper chance of getting it through and getting home on it, then I don't think employers should be arguing it. But it, it does highlight this real need to 
to do training and um, make sure that you've got it. You're in a good position to argue it in the first place. What do, what do you think, Joe? Well, I mean, I, I can't really comment so much about the the, the sort of practical side of things because I, I don't um, litigate anymore. But I'm not. I don't think that taking away reference to all is is a is a sensible thing to do i think it's been a missed opportunity and the reasons that the lords gave um to support that make no sense to me at all for example they mentioned that it would be inappropriate to impose that burden on employers whilst they were responsible for third party harassment well they'd already agreed by that stage that third party harassment were provisions were going so that's why i say that it made no sense to me and I think going back to what we said earlier, you know, everybody in Parliament accepted that sexual harassment at work is widespread and unreported. And there's absolutely ample ev- evidence supporting that. We've got we have evidence from the Fawcett Society, Pregnant and Screwed. There's been loads and loads of really robust studies that have looked into that. And From my perspective, it's clear that the current legislation isn't working and that could be partly a question of enforcement. You know, we know that many more people leave employment if they are sexually harassed than go on to fight in an employment tribunal. And I think that, you know, the bill is now only focused on what an employer can do to prevent sexual harassment by staff and the other people it controls. So it's got no liability for third party harassment, as I've already as I've already said. So why not just go the whole hog and impose additional financial penalties on employers? Because they're clearly not doing enough at the moment. It's not working. Everybody accepts that it isn't working. Therefore, you know, if imposing a higher award on employers might sort of prompt them to sort of, you know, get their houses in order, then that can only be a good thing in my view. I mean, what do you think? Because I'm very conscious of the fact that you act mainly for employers. So I'm guessing perhaps your clients might be quite pleased that the standard isn't quite as high. Look, I think it's it's a really tough one. So irrespective of what my personal view is, I think if you if you're an employer and somebody comes into a, a bar for example and uh, and says something to your staff that's not or or says something to somebody else it's not necessarily about your staff but the staff get offended I, i've got a bit of sympathy for yeah you're talking the employer about the third party in, bit aren't you yeah yeah in, in in those respects but in respect of staff on staff harassment then you know i think employers should sort their sort of house out really and try and yeah stop it from happening in the first place and i think i think the thing is that most employers do have policies in place most employers do want to do the right thing i think the problem is that policing everything that each and every single employee does is difficult and quite often in these situations it's one person's word against another so it's really hard to sort it out in my view sometimes i i get that we we also know that although when we're talking about sexual harassment there is you know occasions where people are inappropriately touched but that isn't the bulk of these sorts of claims the bulk of these sorts of claims is about banter it's about inappropriate comments and i think employers can do a lot to set the tone and explain to their staff what is and isn't acceptable 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think the problem becomes with the work-related events, generally where alcohol's involved. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, you know, during the work and day in an office, whatever, that's, you know, it's quite easy to deal with stuff like that. I think the problem is where there's a bit of banter involved or whether there's, you know, alcohol involved. It, it tends to make things harder, in my view. I saw this week, um, incidentally, Joe, that in Italy, there was some sort of tribunal case that involved a sort of sexual harassment issue to it and, it. and it was deemed not to be an act of harassment if you didn't, if you only put your hand on somebody's backside for like nine seconds rather than 10. And I thought, my God, are we going back 100 years? Or, you know, thankfully, I don't think we're, we're at that position over here. So it's, um, it, you know, but it, it, it did sort of show me that, you know, everybody's wrestling with these issues and some people are taking different views to, to others, really. Well, that's just nonsense, isn't it? You know, so... Uh-huh. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I know. So, Joe, do we know how close we are to this bill being passed? Well, it is in its final stages now. The next stage is the report stage, and that's going to take place on the 5th of September. So it's possible that the bill will become law in the autumn, but the specific duty to prevent sexual harassment won't come into force until 12 months later so my best guess is that we're looking at autumn 2024 and that the reason why they've built in the delay is to give employers time to prepare for the changes so is it possible that the bill will be changed again i'm just thinking off the top maybe perhaps to reintroduce something like all reasonable steps (laughs) well I suppose it's possible, but I don't know whether it's likely or not. As I've as I've said, the justification for removing all was based on the fact that that duty would also apply to third party harassment. And we know that that's now not happening. So I would hope that at the very least, when it gets to the next stage, the Lords will take that opportunity to clear up the confusion. But of course, that doesn't mean that they're going to reinstate the wording. But we'll keep our listeners know if there's any further changes on that. Well, look, whatever happens to the bill, I, you know, my recommendation is that employers tackle this anyway. So it's not yeah. just about avoiding claims. You know, that's expensive and time consuming, definitely. But it's about doing the right thing. So, you know, attracting, retaining staff, obtaining new work. You know, we've mentioned in previous episodes that you may have to disclose how many claims you've had if you're tendering for certain types of contract, for example, with the public sector, you know, financial institutions, whatever. You know, it's it, it, it is right and important to do the right thing here yeah i absolutely agree i mean if the me too movement meant anything it's that we really do need to drive change well brilliant on that note that's it for today so if you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside expert commentary then tune in in a fortnight thanks very much for listening thank you bye-bye